1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for my podcast, Great New American Essays. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Lee Gutton, he is the founder of the magazine Creative Nonfiction. We'll be focusing on his new book, freshly out from Yale University Press. It's called The Fine Art of Literary Fistfighting. Subtitle, How a Bunch of Rabble-Rousers, Outsiders, and 'er Ne'er-Do-Wells Concocted Creative Nonfiction. Welcome to the show.
1: Good to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Oh, absolutely. Delighted to do so. So the magazine premiered in 1994. Can you tell me a bit about it? And I'm also interested in how, over those many years, uh, maybe the the magazine has changed a bit since you first concocted it on your kitchen table.
1: (laughs) Um, The magazine changed on a physical basis. The first 37 issues were um, uh, um, a very traditional literary magazine, uh, perfect bound, no illustrations, no advertisements. It was just... Literature, or um, what I like to call essays, although at the time um, a lot of people didn't want to confirm the fact that they were essays. But um, so that went for thirty-seven issues, and then we moved into a quarterly, um, more magazine-like format for our next. Uh, I don't, um, I don't know how many issues we stopped publishing. After our seventy eighth issue, which was um, in the beginning of two thousand twenty three,
0: okay. Well, I know those really struggles with the the genre and getting respect and attention. Uh, I wrote a dissertation on Baldwin and Mailer and Gideon in nineteen ninety. It was not that easy cobbling together a uh, dissertation committee at Rutgers University. <laughs> but, uh, I was very devoted to the form. I knew Robert Atwan, who was, of course, the 2 year editor for Best American Essays. So I've been a big champion of it. And your book, uh, The Fine Art, is obviously very much a champion of the form. Um, why don't you first give us maybe a uh, orienting overall one-minute spiel, as it were, uh, about the book and what it's about, and then we'll dive into some
1: particulars. No one has ever written a history of the genre of creative nonfiction. There are collections of essays. There are how to write books, but um, I wanted to um, make it a point of showing that that creative nonfiction has existed for a long time. Yep, but. but people began to open their eyes to it as a genre separate from from poetry and fiction, um, and I wanted to tell how that. Evolution happened. Today, it is considered the fourth genre. Today, um, when I started the 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 journal in 1994, there were there was only one or two places where you could earn a degree in creative nonfiction, and now there are over 200 across the world, not just the United States. And I felt that this was a story that had to be told. And I felt that I was very much a part of that story, and so um, I wrote the book.
0: Sure, no, and it's a wonderful book, and it's infused—I uh, must say—with your your voice and sensibility, which is so even from the the uh, book flap. I have to let listeners know it says how basically a leather-clad hippie motorcyclist and former PR writer fought his way into academia, fought his way into academia gives me a sense of the feisty voice i encountered uh you're a, you're from pittsburgh a town that dickens charles dickens wants described as hell with the lid off uh <laughs> how does how does pittsburgh uh infuse the spirit of this book somewhat
1: it was maybe hell with the lid off but it certainly <laughs> wasn't um i wish i was around at that particular time um but it it is a very conservative except for the Pittsburgh Steelers it is a very conservative place and um and uh my breaking into the academy was fortunate and kind of unpredictable I was a motorcyclist um I um I I was kind of an outlaw and outlier in many ways but um nobody at the University of Pittsburgh had any interest in teaching nonfiction. It was not literary. It was formulaic. It was commercial. Um, if you wrote nonfiction, you were writing it for money, and that's just not the way literature is supposed to be. So um, so luckily, I had a mentor at Pitt, and um, I began teaching courses there. And shockingly to all of my colleagues... There were a lot of students interested in nonfiction, and at the time, new journalism was of great interest to students, and it kind of um, it kind of progressed into this creative nonfiction world. But I should say that if I had come from the classic PhD, uh, most of the professors that were my colleagues. If if I had had that background, um, first of all, I wouldn't have taught creative nonfiction in the first place. But it was because I didn't know what I was doing when I was there. I didn't even know, I swear to you, Dan, what a PhD really meant. I just kind of went in there, took advantage of an opportunity, and realized that something really amazing was happening in the world of literature, and no one... Sounds like you had a similar experience. No one was opening their eyes to um, to embrace it.
0: Yeah, no, I remember, in fact, someone said to me, uh, Dan, you're very out of the box. And I replied, well, I don't even know where the box is. Uh-huh. And, and they were stunned for a moment, but then we managed to have a good conversation after that. Um, so as I was mentioning, I know Pittsburgh quite well. In fact, I once wrote an essay about the nationality classrooms. I, I've, I've logged considerable time in the Cathedral of Learning, but nowhere near as much as yourself. So you mentioned new journalism, and I'm really interested in what seems to be almost like a bit of a two-step movement over these 30, 40 years of the of the genre's most recent existence. First starts with new journalism. Uh, Tom Wolfe, among others, saying he doesn't want to write in beige tones. And then you point out that where you think the essay format is at today is in a large part championed with the energy of female writers, whereas new journalism, the Joan Didion, et cetera, aside, was probably a bit more of a male enclave. Is, is that a somewhat fair de-
1: depiction? And how would you like to build on that picture? I wouldn't say um, it was a bit more. Uh, if you take a look at Tom Wolfe's 1973 collection of the best of new journalism, <laughs> uh, there, there were 22 people being featured only two of whom were women, uh, Joan uh. Didion and uh, Barbara Goldsmith. And so um, diversity maybe wasn't a big issue in 1973. And the whole new journalism world was an old boys world. You know, you had to know somebody and you maybe had to drink with them. Um, so, so women were not really um, um, a part of that clique. But... As time passed, uh, women began to enter into this nonfiction world a lot because they were beginning to write, uh, let us say, from the heart. They were writing memoir. They were writing thoughtful pieces that went beyond who, what, when, where, and why, went beyond uh, journalism generally and added a very personal Dimension to the nonfiction that they were that they were writing. It took a long time, but slowly but surely, um, women became a dominating force in this creative nonfiction world that would not have happened um, in the new journalism world. But but that whole idea of the word creative opened up so many doors to so many different writers, not just women, but. Poets and fiction writers who felt kind of trapped by by um, their genre um, and 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 didn't quite know what to do with work. A poet often didn't know quite well what to do with work that was not poetry, and so this really um, it, it just um, caused a slow but gradual evolution into uh, a genre that uh, embraces all forms of writing.
0: Yeah, no, and I, I came out of poetry myself. My master's in creative writing from, from Brown was in poetry, but uh, the essay form, from the very first moment I started writing it, I just said, this is a wonderful opportunity. I can do all the lyrical stuff, but I can add exposition and context and and run with this thing in a way that I just didn't feel like I, at least in my case, couldn't
1: with poetry. But Dan, you um... In 1990 or so, um, throughout those first few years, even if you had written these kind of creative essays, you would not have found many interested editors or publications to swallow your work. Yeah, no,
0: that was true. Fortunately, I was writing a lot about the Dakotas, and it had to do with uh, Indian-white relations or lack thereof in parts. And so, partly through a historical lens, that was of, of some assistance. Um, going to, uh, you mentioned poets and, and lyrical poems. You also talked about, you know, hybrid poems or braided essays these days. Also, I think you called it the the uh, crabbed essay, where it's taken almost like a, a, a ready-made piece, a, a Robert Rauschenberg piece of art, where they they found things and incorporated in the essay. What, what are I, I've tried to introduce a few of the things. But what else has really struck you about how the, the genre is blossoming and differentiating itself these days.
1: When I first started publishing creative nonfiction, I really focused on the techniques of narrative scenes, dialogue. I wanted writers to use all of the literary techniques available to them uh, to to write as powerful nonfiction true stories as they could. Um, What happens when a genre... Um, becomes part of the academic world. Uh it um very often it goes in directions that you never expect and um in some ways that you never wanted to see. And so um so there's a there's been an explosion of ideas related to creative nonfiction and uh, and a compromise often of the values of making sure that um, the the work you do is is let us say um uh, accurate and honest um so so i won't say that the genre has kind of gotten out of hand but the line that used to define what a true story was um has really been pushed way beyond, in some cases, its limits.
0: Sure. Well, you, you mentioned in the book that um, there are a lot of people writing these days. You say the competition is overwhelming and frenetic. Um, it's certainly very much lodged in no small part in, in academia these days, although there's certainly writers outside of it. Would you say the all these writing programs, is that a good thing, a kind of a mixed blessing. I mean, what? How might you characterize uh, the fact that there are indeed, you know, the AWP annual conferences turn into a not even a three ring circus; it might be a five ring circus.
1: Uh, I always hate to answer a question like like yours because <laughs> worked so damn hard for so many years to establish creative writing um, in in the academic world, and sure. of course focus on uh the the creative nonfiction genre but i do wonder um i do wonder um how many people really ought to spend four years, or in some cases, five or six years studying writing. I would much rather, uh, Mailer didn't have an MFA, uh, Didians didn't have an MFA. They experienced the world, and uh, they wrote very much on their own, being supported by by friends. And, um, and I think maybe the MFA programs uh, have gone a bit too far. I think that it's, has become in some respects to some universities, a cash cow, a, a way of generating income that they once had from liberal arts students or uh, English majors. So so it's really terrific when you're teaching and you discover an, uh, a genius, you discover a, a really wonderful writer who knows how to write, who has the great feel for his or her words. But um, uh, I often look back and think, have we gone too far? Uh, Are we misleading poets into thinking that they may get a job? (laughs) Um, um, Writing poetry is just not going to happen very often.
0: Sure. Well, I I I did really value in the book. This came up very often. I think it's part of what you loved about New Journalism was certainly the chances it took with style, but also the chances it Took with subject matter, and you really applaud uh, some of your students, for instance, who worked on the school newspaper and really had a penchant for getting out in the world and being taking initiatives at chances. I, I really uh, enjoyed that part of the book very much, along with the rest of it. Uh,
1: Interestingly um, enough, those students I wrote about from the 1970s were in this revolutionary period of the United States history, and they were quite motivated in many ways. And they were a very tight-knit group. And when my book was published, one of my students, former students who uh, had become the Middle Time Magazine Middle East Bureau, got the book and uh, began reaching out to the students that I wrote about and and um, and planning a reunion. And so next month, these students, 30 or 40, who were just in that little clique of students who who were incredibly motivated by the freedom that new journalism offered. Um, we're all getting together in Pittsburgh. Um, I hope the weather's better. And so, so it was a very, very exciting time in the world of literature and in the world of journalism for those writers who, who wanted to live the life and, or live other people's lives. So, um, I, you know, I kind of wish that would still be continuing rather than just uh, taking writing courses and getting a degree. But, um, (laughs) but I was part of those people who pushed this whole idea. So, so, um, so that's the way it happened.
0: Sure. Um, one of my favorite chapter titles is Mud and Coconuts. Do you want to? unpack that for for listeners
1: oh, my, yeah <laughs> no we're at this conference at awp i can't remember maybe it was 1984 1985 and um and william least Heatmoon, uh blue highways author yep. uh stood up and took off his big black boot and slammed it on the table and s- challenged essayist by saying that this boot I'm paraphrasing, represents what writers really ought to do, which is to get down deep into the Mississippi mud and find real people and make them come alive. And that was his statement. And William Gass, among a couple of other people, said, no, no, I'm an essayist. I like to climb trees and throw Maybe it was apples, but maybe it was apple. And throw apples down on the ground and see what people think. And um, I don't really worry about whether it's true or not. I worry about the words and the ideas I'm communicating. And so that was a really exciting. There aren't a lot of things exciting at AWP, as you know, except maybe for the hotel bar. But but um, but, but that was a very exciting. And, and it really showed the difference between yeah. um, uh, the, the academic essayist—remember, we're going back um, uh, 20 years—and and the what I'll still call the new journalist.
0: Yeah. Um, no, I, I think that's a, a wonderful dichotomy. It really puts the battle lines out there and uh, very much enjoyed that chapter. There's something very uh, different in this book that I—because I, you followed the magazine, you had to nurse it along— you mentioned special theme uh, issues that emerged by degrees and also the the hunt for some funding to, to make this this dream possible and sustainable. Uh, I think part of this comes out of the fact that you were in the mud and you were out there as a salesperson. I believe it was shoes, if I remember correctly. And uh, so that gives you a little bit more diversity as, as to background. And uh, you drew on some of those instincts, those business experiences to help make sure that the magazine could work. Um, I never thought about, you know, special themes and being creative, not just in the writing, but in the funding mechanisms. Uh, I wanted to see if maybe wanted to say
1: a few words about that. Creative nonfiction wasn't a university. We didn't have alumni to give money to. And also, I was really um, nervous after the magazine got started that um, if we got too involved with a university, Um, And they gave us a building or they gave us, you know, a secretary or whatever, that whenever they really felt like it, they could pool the money and we'd be lost. So I decided, well, um, I believe that unless something has changed, that that has happened to the Gettysburg um, Review. Wonderful, wonderful journal. Yeah, I was was shocked. (laughs) Yeah. And so... I wanted to make, to remain as independent as possible. And so I tried to figure out, like I did years before, as I was a PR person, um, how to appeal to people with money (laughs) and creative nonfiction. um, You have to write about something if you're writing nonfiction. Um, There are those people who are throwing the apples down on the ground, but you, you really do have to write about something. And so... Yeah, I kind of went on the road. I became kind of a, I hate to say it now, a barker, carnival barker, and I figured out themes that would be of interest to uh, people with money, to banks, to foundations, and, uh, and got those groups to seed fund each issue or many of the issues of the magazine. They didn't have a chance to edit the work or choose the work, but it was a subject that they were quite interested in. And and so that's the way, that's one of the ways that I kept the journal alive and more or less independent. And as time passed um, and we grew, uh, foundations looked at us not like we were crazy with this creative nonfiction term, that we had an audience, and we were a solid uh, foundation, and we did get um, nice contributions from many foundations, but all along, um, the, the, uh, literary journals are so vulnerable, and, uh, and they're often run by literary people who don't have a lot of business experience and certainly not a lot of PR experience. And so I exerted a lot of energy to, uh, to keep us al- alive for quite a long time.
0: Well, I, I was an entrepreneur at one point and I started my own company. And I, I must say, I did find that my largely academic staff did not want to get their feet muddy. Um, so all of those things felt, fell to me. So I, I, um, that, that spirit of independence and, uh, you know, fiercely nurturing what you had. I I really respect that tremendously. Before we close here, I want to give you a chance just to open the floodgates to whatever you might want to bring up from the book or from uh, talking about grave nonfiction magazine that I haven't yet addressed and give the floor to you for a moment here.
1: The evolution of the genre was incredibly amazing to me as I left the military in the middle 1960s and began to discover some of some really amazing nonfiction or, at that time, new journalistic work. It was a very exciting period because I was teaching myself. There was no MFA program to enter into. And it's interesting that as you look at the work of Norman Mailer or Joan Didion and you really look at it carefully... Even if you don't have a background in English departments or literature, there's so much to learn by just figuring out what writers are actually doing when they reach out to their readers. And then I remember thinking at the time, what an incredible impact some of those books made. Not just on me, but the world at large. And all of this is book by book, year by year, uh, captured in the art of literary fist-biting, along with a lot of fist fighting.
0: <laughs> well, I, I enjoyed it. It made it much more interesting than uh, some books I've read, I confess. Um, you know, it got down the mud, it threw coconuts, and did whatever it was going to do. Uh, but I stayed with you, and I was fighting on your side all the way through as a reader. I think that's exactly what you would have hoped for. I, I believe
1: absolutely. I'm, I, I got to say, I sure wish there was more mudslinging today, because, uh, because uh, <laughs> oh, in many in the literary world, this could be a, kind of a boring time. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, with what what Henry Kissinger joke? Yeah. Why are the why are the turf battles so intense in academia? And the answer is. Because the stakes are so low. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, I I pray for high stakes. Um, It makes life a lot more interesting. So I want to thank you so much, Lee, for having been my guest. Uh, This is the latest issue of Great New American Essays. My guest, Lee Dudkin, he is the author of the new fine book from Yale University Press. It's called The Fine Art of Literary Fistfighting. The subtitle, once again, How a Bunch of Rabble-Rousers, Outsiders, and 'er Ne'er-Do-Wells Concocted Creative Nonfiction. Thank you so very, very much.
1: Thanks for inviting me. I had fun.